Okay. Well, um, we'll get started with prayer and we will dive right in because I am very hopeful I can get through all this. I showed this to my wife and she said, you ain't going to get through that. <laughs> so... <clears throat> <laughs> so, we are going to do whatever we can to prove her wrong this morning and get through it. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of Romans and how it helps us understand our Christian life and uh, understand you better as well, Lord. We just thank you for it in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to finish verse 13, which we didn't get to last week, and then we're going to get into 14. Um, 13 kind of is its own little section, a little thought, um, if you will, and then 14 uh, through 20 is a, they're all kind of together, but they, they, that's kind of where it breaks, and then 21 through 25 uh, we'll cover next week. But uh, in verse number 13, it follows, uh, or Paul again is a kind of answering a question that could possibly arise uh, from his previous statement. And he seems to do that often uh, through the book of Romans, uh, but here we kind of see that same idea again. He says, therefore did that which is good become a curse of death for me, okay, is that which is good become a curse of death for me? What is the good uh, referred to here? What, is, what does it mean when it says that is what is good? The law, okay? So it could be said, therefore did that which, or uh, is the law, did the law become a curse of death for me, Okay. Paul's pointing out that uh, here uh, some important things for us to realize. Okay, his answer to that is, "May it never be." Paul uses this "may it never be" phrase multiple times in the book of Romans to relay a strong, emphatic "no, absolutely not." Okay. Um, and then he goes on rather, and he explains himself of what uh, sin and, and how sin works within and, and with uh, our understanding of sin and the law and how all of this works out, he goes to explain here. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Okay? Paul is pointing out that sin uh, used the law. Okay? You're blank there. Which is good. The law is good. He emphasizes that again in, you know, in the previous verse in 12. He wants us to understand that the law is holy and the commandments are holy and righteous and good. Why is it important for us to understand that the law is holy, righteous, and good? Why do we believe that Paul is making an emphatic statement in verse 12 and then reemphasizing that sin and the law um, 
they they the law the sin uses the law, but the law is not sinful in and of itself. Why do you think Paul is making such a big deal about this? Okay. The law convicts us. But why is he using the words righteous and holy and good? Because it comes from God and the law shows his character of who he is. Okay, this is God's perfect law and we're talking about the moral law here understand we're not talking about the entirety of the mosaic law here we're talking about god's moral law okay the the top blank is uh which is good okay using the law which reminding us it is good and then about that which is not good death okay Brings about which is not good. Okay? Okay, so what is being said up here in verse 13? What do, what do, we, uh, what do we think Paul is, is getting at when he says, Therefore did that which is good become a curse of death for me. What do you think Paul's saying here? We can't blame the law. The law is not the, the reason that I sin. I cannot uh, lay at the feet of the law and say the law is the reason why I sin. The law is the cause of sin and the law is what brings death into my life. Okay, We cannot say that. May it never be said that the law is the cause of our death. Sin is the cause of our death. Rather, it was sin. Okay? He's very emphatic there. Rather, it was sin in order that it might become shown to be sin by affecting my death. Through which the good, the law, so that, okay, so our death comes as a result of us not following the law because of sin. So the penalty for not following the law is sin. But it's, the law isn't what, uh, isn't what drove us to death. Sin is. Is that making sense? So we can't blame the law, we ha- the, the sin which causes us to break God's law is what ultimately is the, the, what Paul is saying here. And what the law does is show that sin is utterly sinful. And what the purpose of the law. The law was given. What does Paul say up in earlier verses? Um, in verse uh, number 10. The commandment was, uh, which was to result in life. Proved to result in death for me. The purpose of the law was to bring life. And to bring goodness to the people. 
um, ultimately they could not follow the law, and so it brought about death. But that's caused through sin, not as a result of the law. The sin which used... uh, the, the idea here given in all of it in simple terms is the idea of mom says, don't touch that, it's hot. What's the child going to do? They're going to touch it. Don't go out and play in the mud. What are they going to do? They're going to go out and play in the mud. That's the, what, breaking it down very simply, that's what Paul is getting at here. The law, which is given by the mom, says don't go play in the mud is that, is that sinful or wrong at all in what that's... No, that's a, it's a good, what should be... You know, there's nothing wrong with what's said there. So we can't blame the law. We blame the person that commits the sin against the law. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Mirror's just showing you what's on your teeth, right? That's a good, it's a good, uh, I, I, that happens to me often with my wife, though. My wife is my mirror. <laughs> what did you eat? What did, <laughs> the woman thou givest me. <laughs> so, anyways, that's, that's what Paul is getting at here in really emphasizing that sin through the law, the knowledge of sin that comes through the law has become utterly sinful. And we will see that as we get through, as we start getting through uh, the rest of this chapter number seven. Now, <clears throat> starting here, in, unless there's any questions, um, actually, I do have, there's, you have um, the line under your blanks there. Um, it's two Bible verses or two references, John eight forty four and John ten ten, both reference um, Satan as the one that brings about death in our life. Okay, it's we come sin and Satan is the 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 what brings death into our life, not the good law, not the the law, the the righteousness of the law. It's the sin and Satan, and which is the 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 one that uh, we see is like the forefront of the one that causes sin. And not that we are without blame, um, but anyways, those references reference sin and the cause of sin being death. And that, so just I don't want to spend too much time there. Just um, write those down in. Uh, Go back and look at those. Okay, the law is shown to be utterly sinful. All right, now moving on to verse 14. Uh, verse 14, this section, and I'm just going to make this statement briefly, and then we're going to uh, only talk about one side. This has two thoughts. In all of my studying with all the commentaries and different men that I listen to and read and all of that, which uh, was quite a bit on this section. They all state the the the, uh, the have the statement that this is a very widely misunderstood or misinterpreted or interpreted in two different ways um, throughout Christian and for many years. Okay, the two different beliefs are is that fourteen 
um, and, and the following verses are speaking of an unbeliever. Okay, someone that has not uh, accepted Christ and is not a follower, is not redeemed. Okay, we know that for sure to be the case in what we read earlier that this was Paul before conversion. Okay, what we studied last week. Uh, uh, they're saying that this is a continuation of the same thought, that this is someone before conversion. Okay? That is one thought. The other thought is this is, uh, and it's kind of a twofold uh, thought, uh, and you could split it if you want uh, to make three different thoughts. One is that this is an unbeliever. The next thought would be that this is a new believer that is still like an infant in their infancy of Christianity and really struggling with sin, or that this is Paul speaking about his own struggle while he's writing to the Romans. Okay, So this would be what we would consider an older or mature Christian. Okay, Those are your three thoughts. We are going to only look at one today because I am convinced as your teacher. Now, this is uh, the way that I am convinced. Uh, if you do have other thoughts, um, you can bring them up and challenge what I'm saying today, and that's fine. And I will attempt to prove to you today by what I show you in Scripture here that this is talking about Paul as a... Um, mature Christian, okay? So that's, that's where I have fallen through my study. There are good and uh, men, uh, gracious and God-loving men that do believe differently, and that's, um, that's okay. I do want to make this statement, though, that says, if you take this to be an unbeliever, it truly radically ch uh, changes how you view Romans chapter 1s through 3 and how you, how you deal with uh, what Paul is saying elsewhere in the book of Romans, okay? So as we get into this, hopefully I will be able to um, show you through Scripture that this is Paul speaking of the struggle that a Christian would have um, throughout his Christian life remembering what is chapters 1 through 3. Just quickly, what is chapters 1 through 3 pointing out in, the, in our lives? We're all sinners, okay? We're condemnation. That's what that whole section is about, okay? Chapters 5 and 6 are talking about what? 4, 5, and 6. Justification, okay? That, it brings that out clearly. Chapters, uh, sorry, yeah, um, and chapters uh, 6, sorry, five, 4 and 5 are bringing out justifications. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 um, are bringing out what? Sanctification. Okay, sanctification. Well, this is in the middle of that conversation. And this is Paul continuing to talk about sanctification and his, his desire to grow... Uh, in his knowledge and his um, Christian life to God and, and in his pursuit of sanctification, okay? Uh, becoming set apart and holy uh, to God, okay? So that is what we're going to uh, look at today and, and, and uh, flesh out, okay? 
So starting in verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Okay? Your first blank there is this is a common knowledge. This is common knowledge that the law is spiritual. Okay? Your, your, uh, you can see there it says it refers to God's holy character. So when Paul writes this to them, this is something that they would know. This is not something that has to be really explained. For we, being believers, know that the law is spiritual and I am of flesh. Okay, we're going to stop right there for a second. I am of flesh. Okay? It's important that we understand words and the importance of them. Okay? Paul does not say, this is in your blanks, Paul does not say that he is in the flesh. Does not say he's in the flesh, but of the flesh. Okay? Your word there, in the flesh, is an unregenerate person. That's your blank. Unregenerate person. Or unsaved person. Okay? Romans 8, or Romans 5, or sorry, 7, 5. Chapter 7, verse 5. I mean, Romans 8, 8. Okay? We see this is an unbeliever. Romans 7, verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, and it goes on there, the word in the flesh there is speaking of an unbeliever. This is someone that is in the flesh. This is speaking of a person that would fit within chapters 1 and 3, 20. Okay? In that section of... Um, of Scripture, that per, the, the in there, the person that lives in the flesh. Okay? And then in 8.8 says, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? It is impossible for an unregenerate person to please God. That's not possible. Okay? So, clarifying, and, and this is going to the point of, Paul is speaking... Uh, uh, here, uh, in, in the previous verses, Paul is speaking in the past tense. Here, he's speaking in the present tense. Okay, I am of flesh. This is present tense. Okay, and the of is a very important part. It is speaking to um, the your next blank. There of is the flesh is uh, is to say. It is still in Him. Okay? That's your blank. It is still in Him. We do not get rid of our sinful nature. Okay? When we get saved, our sinful nature does not go away and we become righteous without sin. Because if that were the case, there would be no purpose for anyone to really go to church or be, do any of this, Right? Why do we come to church? Why we come not only for fellowship, but for reproof and for edification and strengthening? And but if we were without sin, yeah. Well, what? But would you need accountability if you were without sin? No. Okay, so there would not be any need for church or really even need your Bible, right? If it were to be said, and there has been beliefs 
um, over the years that have taught that you can have a second dose of grace or given a second function of grace to where ultimately you will become sinless. Uh, There's been movements and they've been called different things throughout time. Uh, one is uh, the Holy Spirit movement, and, and the more the Holy Spirit dwells with inside you, Joe, the more sinless you will become with the possibility of one day you becoming completely sinless on earth. That's the idea given, and that is nowhere seen in Scripture. We cannot, Paul, and, and we're going to look at that if I, I'm going to... Uh, try to go, I really want to get through all this because it's such an important part of understanding our Christian struggles and, and how we view our life here on earth. Um, uh, one of the men I was studying is um, Sproles, R.C. Sproles, and he was dealing with a young man who was 17 years old. He was coaching a baseball team, and this young man was convinced that at 17 years old, he had reached perfection of no longer sinning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So, but he was, uh, you know, most children will, you know, play that game. This kid was actually convinced that he had reached sinless perfection. And he was from uh, the United States. He was over in um, uh, Austria in, uh, as an exchange student. And Sproles was there doing some, uh, some work and so on. And anyways, he began to te- uh, talk with this young man. He was <coughs> coaching baseball, and they began to have a dialogue. And the, the people that believe that, believe that this is talking about an unsaved person, this section. Okay? And he was able to convince this young man that this is Paul as a believer, as a Christian. And the young man was convinced from Sproul's showing him the Greek and Hebrew and all of the different ways that those scholars can do that. And the young man said, wow, that, that's sad that that's where Paul was. To the understanding, as he began to question this young man, and the young man made the statement that it's, it's sad that Paul never reached that place where I am. So the young man at 17 believed that he was on a higher spiritual plateau than Paul uh, was and that he had reached sinless perfection. And this is a danger. What's that? Absolutely, right. Uh, absolutely. I've never personally met someone that takes this. Well, actually, I, I, I did know someone that believed that this was possible. He did not believe it that he had reached it himself, but he believed that it was possible. Um, we had some very uh, <clears throat> interesting conversations about this. Um, but as far as I've never met someone that believes that they've actually uh, become sinless. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I would assume that, you know, you would have to come to a point where you either justify your sin and make it not sin, or you come to the realization, I am still a sinner. One, it has to be one or the other. You either justify that, you know, looking at a woman to lust is not really sin, 
or whatever other sin that you might uh, partake, especially as a young 17-year-old man. I mean, those hormones are raging. Uh, how you would not be able to fall victim to that, I don't know. But <clears throat> um, anyways, so that's what's being, you know, we, the sinful lust of the flesh still lives within inside of us. Okay, and then it says here, and this is another area where people struggle and say, well, this obviously is a clear case of this is before salvation because of the statement sold uh, into bondage to sin. Sold into bondage to sin. Okay. <clears throat> this would not be uh, understood in this way. When we look at this phrase, sold into bondage to sin, we, uh, we can say it, uh, the way we would say this uh, and, and the way we would read this and understand it is we are under the influence, those are your two blanks, under the influence of sin. Okay, the word to there, okay, the word to is actually translated under. Okay, and that's, you can put that in your blank there. The word to. And this is where it's important to know kind of what words are. And it's, it's, we can read this text uh, and face value, uh, but that's where it's important to study God's word and, and realize these are translations of the original text. And everything that I read points out that the word to is to be under. And so... Uh, the, the wordage here and the idea is that we are still under uh, the influence of sin. Yes, ma'am. Uh, oh, yes, I did. Sorry. Ephesians 5.3. Ephesians 5.3. Okay. And Colossians 3, 1 through 10. And these are, they give the understanding that Christians are going to struggle with sin. Okay? We're going to struggle um, under sin. And we see this all through what Paul, uh, in, in, in his writings, okay? Uh, Ephesians 5. In verse uh, 3, uh, but immoral or impurities or greed must not even be named among you as, um, as it pertains among saints. Okay? This is, Ephesians is written to believers. Okay? And if you go up in those verses, 1 and 2, it talks about that. Okay? What verse 3 is saying that immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among us. The idea given is that if Paul is saying this shouldn't even be named among us, it means it can be named among us. Does that make sense? It shouldn't be. Does not mean it cannot, it cannot be, right? It should not be greed, envy, fighting, striving, all of these things that we did before we were Christians should not be named among us now as believers, meaning that is something we struggle with and we need to understand that is not what needs to be a part of our lives. Okay? That's, that's what that... And 
Colossians 3, 1 through 10 is getting to the same idea that we don't, uh, we don't ever free ourselves from sin. And we, we'll see that as we continue to get through this. Paul kind of just keeps pounding the same drum to make us understand we are Christians that still struggle with the flesh. We're still under the bondage uh, of the, the struggle. Okay, That bondage is still real in our life. The difference is... As a believer, we have the ability to get out from under that bondage. Where before we were a Christian, we could only stay under it. We could only stay under the influence of sin. Now as a believer, we have the ability through Christ to live in the new nature, to live um, uh, and, and have a choice whether we sin or not. Before salvation, we, ne- we did not have that. Ability, okay? Important key understandings here, okay? And if we, if we read them and not understand the concept that Paul is giving in the context, it can take us to go into the wrong directions, okay? Any questions on verse, or verse 14 there with what I've said? Does that, does that make sense? Is that clear what that's being said there? Okay, so moving on to verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Okay, simple verse. We'll talk about through this verse. Um, but what I have there is sin is a mystery to us. Before salvation, we're not confused at all about our sin. This is what we want to do, this is what we love to do, and we know how to do nothing but sin. So when Paul makes the statement, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. How many unbelievers do you know that hate their sin? Have you met one? No, we don't. Before salvation, we didn't hate our sin. We had no cause to hate our sin. We had no understanding that it is that we should hate our sin. The only reason that we hate sin is because of the indwelling of the Spirit that is within us that convicts us of that sin that we don't want to do, as Paul is saying here. For I am doing what I don't understand. And what Paul is getting at there is, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Have we ever had that struggle? Have you had that struggle in your life? Why do I continue to struggle with this stupid sin? It constantly besets me. It constantly entangles me. I don't understand it. I'm a Christian. I love God. And I, and I want to follow him, but I constantly see myself dragging myself back into the swine pit of this sin. That is what Paul is. It's confusing as a believer. I don't understand it. I don't know why I do it. Uh, other than that I know I still war with the flesh. And he gives that very thing I hate. The reason why we would say or understand that this is a 
older believer, Paul speaking of himself as a mature believer, is typically young, brand new Christians don't, they don't have a heart that hates their sin to this passion that Paul is talking about right off the bat. They, they don't have that understanding of the grossness of their sin. As you grow in sanctification, you're growing in your knowledge of sin. Okay, The statement is that we become sinless. I don't believe that that is what happens in our Christian life. I don't believe we become sinless. I believe that we become increasingly aware of our sin, which causes us to repent more frequently quickly and recognize that was sin, that was sin, that was sin. When we commit the wrong thought or the wrong word or angrily spoken, that comes to our mind immediately the older we get as a believer. And we become to hate the sin, which Paul is stating here in verse 15, but we still find ourselves struggling in it. We still find ourselves struggling in it. It's a mystery to us. We don't understand it. And he says here in verse 16, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, hmm. oh, yeah. for if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law and confess that the law is good. What's being said here? Right. Okay, your blank is the law points out our sin. Mystery. The law points out our sin. Romans 3.20 Romans 3.20 would be your, your verse for there. But by the working of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The knowledge of sin comes through the law. The law points out our sin. And Paul is saying, I agree. I agree. The law is right. It is good. And I do the things I shouldn't. But if I do the very things... I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good and righteous. Recognizing, Paul is recognizing his sin. Okay, verse number 17, um, we have to think about here. Okay? See what it's saying. He makes the same statement again in verse number 20, and we'll get there in a second, but now then, or so then, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. What's the famous statement made? The devil made me do it. That's passing the buck, right? Goodness. What in the world is Paul doing here? 
So now, understanding that, you know, I don't want to do these things, and I agree with the law, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin would dwell. It's not my fault, it's sin. The devil made me do it. I get to live free from guilt because it's not me, it's actually sin. That's what being said here. That's what he says, but what, what is he saying? Okay. So, this is, uh, to me, this was a, it's a small verse, but it was a big, uh, big deal to me when I, when I gathered the information, uh, was putting all the pieces together, okay? The new nature cannot sin. The new nature cannot sin, okay? That's your, that's your blank, cannot sin. Let's go to Galatians, or someone turn to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16, and then Ephesians 4, someone else turn, Ephesians 4.23 and 24. The new nature cannot sin, okay? Do we understand that statement? We live, as a believer, we have the nature of Christ given to us, right? We have a new nature. The old nature is prone to do nothing but sin. The new nature is prone to do nothing but righteousness and holiness, okay? Well, I haven't got there yet. We're on, the, we're on just the first part. You're getting excited. All right, it's okay. It's good. Good, you're following along though. Galatians 5.16, what does that say? Okay, so how do we not carry out the desires of the flesh, the sinful desires? By walking by the Spirit. So if we can walk by the Spirit, and we walk in the Spirit, and we're engulfed by the Spirit, can the Spirit sin? No, it can't. So how do we sin? By not walking in the Spirit. Okay, important. So Ephesians four twenty three and twenty four. And true, nothing in there, say, the new nature is righteous and holy and upright. Okay, you cannot. So, what Paul is saying here, so now, no longer in my new nature, okay, no longer I. The word I there is, in, is wrapped up in the idea of Paul in the new nature. Okay, no longer is it I who... Um, let me see, no longer is I the one doing it. Okay, because Paul is identifying with his new nature. Does that make sense? It's no longer I. I identify, do we identify, does anyone in here that's a believer identify as, a, as a, a, a lost sinner? We don't identify. What do we, how do we identify? We identify as a Christian, a God-fearing, spirit-filled Christian. And that's what Paul is doing here. So no, so now, no longer am I the one doing it. Okay, when he says 
I'm not the one doing it in my new nature. It's that crappy old nature that's dwelling still in me. That's the, the sin. You still have both natures. So the I here is the new nature. It's no longer me in the new nature. It's that old nature. That's the, that's the understanding here. That's, if you could see Paul giving this, it would be in frustration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, you know, you see a uh, mild-mannered person, right? You see them, you know them, uh, mild-mannered person, and you see them have an outburst of anger that is outside of what you would think of their character, and you think, well, that's not them. That's... Yeah. yeah, and that's really what Paul is getting at here is that war, the war. It's no longer I who do it, okay? It's not the new nature doing it. It's the sin which dwells in me, okay? We will never, ever get rid of the sinful desires of our flesh, um, but we can in. And we can live within the Spirit and suppress those. And, and uh, we do have the ability now. We're still going to struggle. We'll struggle until the day we die. And that's what this chapter is so rich for us to understand. But we do have. And as we get, you know, this is, Paul obviously through the inspiration of Christ writes in such a perfect way because as soon as we get into eight, it sure starts to encourage us as a believer. Because here, if you just had this, it would kind of be like, man, this is not so exciting about the Christian life. I'm going to struggle with sin forever. Okay? But there, so 17, hopefully that clarifies more of what that's saying talking and bringing out and as we can see reading through this hopefully this is uh, getting you convinced or giving you the true understanding that this is a believer and this is how we can understand that as a believer that Paul is speaking of his him in his new uh, state as his new nature it's not him doing it it's the old nature who dwells within him no ma'am no ma'am Paul is just pointing out, Paul is pointing out that it's not his new nature that's doing this, okay? It's not the law, it's not the new nature, it's not any of that, it's that old nature that's still in me. And we can't get to, well, then it's okay, because Paul states that it's not, and not, in, not only in Romans, but in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all through it. We cannot sin. Right. Yeah. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Verse 15. 
What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law and not under grace? Or, or sorry. We are under, no longer under law, but under grace. May it never be. Okay? Never do we see that it's okay to sin. Very much the contrary. It is, Paul is stating here, I do the things I hate. I'm, I'm not, this is, he's not shedding his sin in a uh, good light whatsoever. Okay? Verse 18. For what's, sorry, the blank driving force of our sin. Driving force of our sin. Romans 6.12 for, for, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its lusts. <clears throat> okay. Ephesians 4.22 Ephesians 4.22 uh, Ephesians 4, where is it at? 4.22, that in reference to your former manner of life, that you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in uh, accordance with the lust of deceit. Okay, Your, your old self is filled with lust and will deceive you. It's full of deceit. Okay, so... The sinful desires uh, come from our flesh, our old nature. Okay, Romans 6.12 and Ephesians 4.22. Alright, verse 18 and 19. Okay, Verses 18 and 19. Uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. If he were to stop there, he, we would be kind of confused, right? But he doesn't. He says, oops, maybe I should clarify myself here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The old nature. Nothing dwells in me that is good in my old flesh. That would agree with what Paul says in uh, back in uh, chapters three and ten. Okay, and that's what I have there as your verses uh, in the uh, in the flesh, the old nature. That's your blank. There is no good. There's no good in that old flesh. And if you remember, we won't read it because we've gone over it many times. But in Romans three ten through seventeen, gives us that long list, right? There is none good. There is none righteous. Not even one. All of that. That is speaking to the flesh. There is nothing good in it. The battle with the two natures. That is what we see here in these verses. The battle between the two natures. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But, the, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. That can be said about everyone in this room. We struggle with this every day as believers. Right? Everyone in here can make that same statement. For, I, for the good that I want to do, I don't. 
but I practice the very evil that I don't want. <coughs> the very evil that I don't want. Yeah. Paul is not playing games here. The nature, the two natures, they're the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. Something I want to point out here at the end there, uh, a Christian should have an inherent awareness of sin. That is what we see here with Paul. An increasing awareness of sin. That understanding that sin lies within us and we have to suppress it and we have to uh, work on it and and. and and, and live and every day working and living with uh, to to follow after the spirit, and that battle is very real. The flesh never takes a vacation, and it goes everywhere with you. Okay, it goes to bed with you, it gets up with you, it goes to work with you, it goes to lunch with you, uh, it goes everywhere with you, and that is why. We struggle with sin all day long because it never takes a vacation or a nap. Okay. Three very important uh, verses, references to, to uh, write down here. And this is uh, stated about Paul. Okay. And it gives us the understanding of the in how a Christian should be increasingly aware of our sin in respect to a holy God. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, Paul makes the statement that I am the least of what? The apostles. Okay, so Paul makes this statement, there's the apostles and I am at the bottom end of the apostles. Still a, a lofty statement, right? But Paul is understanding that I don't set myself. Now, if we were to look at Paul today, we would probably have him at set up at the top of the apostles, right? Uh, just the way we view because of how much he's written and how God used him. But Paul makes a statement, I am the least of the apostles. Five years later, he writes a letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul makes the statement that I am the least of all the saints. Least of all the saints. So he's gone in five years in his understanding of his sin and how his sin affects his life and uh, the, the gravity of his sin against a, a holy God. Paul makes a statement, I'm the least of all the saints. Well, he's really taken his, he's going the wrong direction. Goodness. Paul started off really good, now he's going the wrong direction, right? And then he gets to Timothy, which is a few years later. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. And he makes the statement there that I am the chief of all sinners. Wow, Paul, you have really digressed in your Christian walk. Is that the way we view this? No. 
Paul has grown tremendously in his Christian walk to really understand the true seriousness and gravity of sin. And sin became to Paul, what does he say there in verse 13? Utterly sinful. So he comes as he grows in his sanctification, in his growing in Christ, he comes to the knowledge that sin is more utterly sinful the older he gets and makes the statement, I am the chief of all sinners. I have nothing to boast of in myself, but I can boast in who? Christ, in Christ alone. And then in verse number 20, he makes a similar statement as he did in uh, verse 17. But if I am doing the very thing I don't want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Again, reemphasizing uh, the new nature here uh, at the beginning of that verse in contrast to the old. The new nature cannot and will not sin. And Paul identifies with that new nature. But recognizes the old nature still within him. And he still struggles with it. And we'll get into verse 21 next week. But I, I find then the uh, principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. If a person makes that statement, if you had someone that comes up to you and says, evil is present within me, the one, but I desire strongly to do good, would you think of that person as a saved or lost? Regenerate person. Why? Because that would agree with what he says here in chapter 3. Yeah. In chapter, chapter 3, he states that none seek God, none desire God, and none do good. Until when? We're redeemed. Until you're redeemed, you don't desire things that are good. You don't desire God. And through, I mean, for I, in verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the man. <laughs> An unbeliever isn't going to be joyful about the law of God. That doesn't make no sense. So hopefully today I've convinced you that this is Paul speaking of the struggles that we have as believers. Okay? Why do we know that believers struggle? I'm going to get it done. I have two verses left. All right. Guys are... Well, I had to. Does everybody get what I was saying today? I had to talk quick. Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll start all the way over at verse 14. <clears throat> okay, so 1 John, just write these references down. These are very good to understand, pointing out that believers will still struggle. 1 John uh, 1, 5 through 10, uh, and going into chapter 2, 1 and 2. 
Okay, read those and you will see how Paul or uh, uh, John here um, sheds light on that we were still going to sin. And if anyone says there's no sin in me, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. And Paul or John there is talking to believers, emphasizing again that we will sin and we will struggle with it. What's that? New nature. Okay, verse 20 is evidence of the new nature within, the, within Paul. Very good. This was a fun lesson, and we'll get, like I said, through 21 through 25. We might go in a little bit to 8. Um, I'll talk with Dean now that they are back, and we're going to get him back in the rotation. So get Dean some harder passages so I've had to <laughs> so make him teach all chapter 9 that'll be good <laughs> anyways very good well uh, if there is any questions um, or something I might not have made as much sense out of uh, please come talk to me afterwards and uh, try to clarify but hopefully uh, that was encouraging to know that Paul struggled with it. We're going to struggle with it. And next week we will uh, see, and then when we uh, see wonderful things come out, uh, and we'll see uh, more exciting things than just our struggle. And when we get into chapter 8, wow, it's hopefully um, Dean and I can portray to you chapter 8 is something that should thrill the heart of a Christian. You should fall in love with Romans chapter 8. It will carry you through many, many different avenues of your life, different seasons. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the truth we see in it. Lord, I pray that um, although we know the struggle is real, Lord, that our hearts would be as Paul's heart and to come to hate the sin that we do. Not just, you know, be annoyed by it, but actually hate the sin that we do. I pray that that would be our hearts today in your name. Amen.